Last week in my effort to encourage us all to vote, I made the statement that a divided nation is discouraging, but a divided church is devastating. I believe that today as much as I did before. It is extremely important that the president be inaugurated this January into that great office with a healthy church well-established and in place, and Christians behaving like and representing well the Lord Jesus Christ. Can anybody agree with me today on that? I know I'm not naive. I know that I'm speaking today to some folks who are thrilled with, the, uh, with yesterday's announcement. And I know that there are others who are disappointed. That is the audience that I speak to today. How would you like to be me today? <clears throat> it's lonely up here today, so I need your help. So don't shy away on me or I'm going to come after you, okay? I could not help um, yesterday as I was saying, Lord, what do you say to a congregation on a day like this? And all I could think of was Paul's words in Romans chapter 12. We rejoice with those who rejoice and we weep with those who weep. But I think all of us need to be reminded today, just as he just prayed, that the government shall be upon his shoulder and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Also, it remains true that no matter who is in the White House, God is still on the throne. He is sovereign, he is holy, he is righteous, and none can compare with him. Amen? Therefore, we keep our eyes upon him. So what does a pastor say to his congregation on this day? Knowing that there are strong feelings in the room on all sides of the aisle. Well, I want you to understand that I pastor Democrats and I pastor Republicans and a few Heinz 57 folks that I don't know what they are yet. Um, but I can tell you how I feel personally, and this is the feeling that dominated my heart above all the roller coaster of emotions expressed through the news of this week, and we watched it and saw it happening. And, but my feeling is this, and this is what has been overriding me, and that is this, my heart breaks at the divide in this country. And it appears to be almost split down the middle with razor edge, as they say, uh, difference in some of the states. But my heart is broken over the, the palpable and very distinct divide that we see, which brings me to one and only one conclusion, and that is this. Church, we need the Lord like we have never needed him before because of the divide. Um, so what does a pastor say to his congregation on this day? Well, I can tell you what this pastor is going to do. He's going to ask you to turn to Ephesians chapter 2 as I deliver what I believe the Lord has laid upon my heart for today. It does seem that um, on occasion it happens to me that a certain passage of Scripture gets brought to my attention, uh, usually several times within a kind of a compressed or a compacted a period of time, and that's been the case here. It may be conversations that I've had, it may be emails that I receive or texts or a podcast I've listened to or articles that I've read or have been sent to me, and, and, and Ephesians 2 has come up a lot and to the point that it finally got my, uh, really got my attention. I went back and began looking at it in more depth, and I want to speak to you from it this morning. The image that I'm showing you now has become the icon of tension in this country. 
It probably would be more fitting to us, uh, or fitting to our reality if it looked like this. Or maybe even this. What is apparent and heartbreaking to me though is that the image I think more realistically looks like this. A great wall of divide. Tension that is palpable, no longer able to have a civil conversation with someone of the other party than you. And so on this day, no matter how you voted, no matter, we have to ask this question. The question is this, is it possible to have peace? Is it possible at all? As we look at the events of this week, as we look at the events of this past summer, what happened in our city streets and disruption of every kind, expressions of outrage, conflict between communities and law enforcement, the question is there. Is it even possible to have peace? And if so, then how? How can that happen? Bethesda, we have to not only look at our nation, but we have to look within ourselves as a fellowship and even to the church at large and ask the question, is it possible to have peace? Well, that is exactly what the Apostle Paul wants to talk to us about this morning here in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 11, where he begins with the word, therefore. Now, anytime you see that word, there's a question you should ask, and it is this, what is that word, therefore? Well, the word, therefore, is, we know it's a connecting word. It's connecting us to what was being stated before and connecting to that which will come after. Up to this point in the book of Ephesians, Paul has been unpacking the incredible blessing that it is to be found in the grace of Jesus Christ. Are you glad that you are found in the grace of Jesus Christ? In fact, he opens the book of Ephesians by saying, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. That means, church, we are chosen by the Father, we are redeemed by the Son, and we are sealed by the blessed Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. And he prays that we would know and experience exactly that. And as Paul reminds us of grace... Here's what he says about it. He says, grace means that God doesn't make good people better. Grace means he takes dead people and makes them come to life, which is the dramatic and powerful reality of the good news of Jesus Christ, that he raises us from death unto life. Who's thankful about it today? As we approach our text in verse 11... We see that it is now building upon this argument of grace that he's spoken of in the earlier part of the book, this argument of who we are in Jesus and that we have been raised from death unto life as we placed our, our faith in him and we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. And here in verse 11, he says, therefore, and then for the first time in the book of Ephesians, we find a command. And the command is this, therefore, remember. That's what he says. It's the command to us. Therefore, remember that formerly, you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time, you were separate. I'm talking about you now. You were separate from Christ, 
excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. Bless your heart. Separate from Christ, excluded from the citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenant of the promise. You're foreign to that. You are without hope and without God in the world. That's in, I, I just think it's really important and essential to us that we remember who we were, who we were. I have a singer friend from New York, precious brother. He's now gone on to be with the Lord. And when I was working with him on a project, he would look at me. He would say, Tan, I'm just so glad I'm saved. Is that anybody's testimony this morning? You are no longer what you were. But by the grace of God, you are becoming something else. But Paul says in this first part of our text, he's, he's addressing you who are Gentiles. Now, stay with me here. To keep this in context and to understand Paul's writing here to the Ephesians in this book, I've got to ask you to remember his missionary journey in Acts chapter 19. Let me, let me just bring that back to you. I'm not going to read it, but I, I just need to get the context to you as to, so that you know what's happening as he's now addressing the Ephesians. But in Acts 19 is where we'd see that on his missionary journey, he landed in Ephesus and, and he addressed some believers the book of Acts tells us, and then he basically said, take me to the synagogue where the Jews are worshiping. That's where I want to go. Take me there. So he goes to the synagogue, and, and Paul preached to the Jews that the, the good news of, of Jesus Christ. He preached to the Jews that grace is found at the cross of Jesus, and he boldly proclaimed that the legal demands and the moral obligations of Judaism have been taken care of, bless the Lord, at the cross, and he proclaimed freedom to the Jewish people. But then when you read on in the book, in, in the book of Acts in chapter 19, you see then Paul leave the synagogue Whereupon he says, now, he's left there, he says, now take me to where the Gentiles are worshiping. Now, Gentiles were, as we know, non-Jewish people who had a relationship with God and who through them, along with the Jews, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And so the Gentiles were separate, but nonetheless, God-fearing and people who worshiped God. But by the legal demands which God had placed on the Jewish people, the Jews could not, I mean the Gentiles could not enter the temple to worship. They could only enter into the outer court. There's more on that in just a second. So that's why they had, in Ephesus, they had God-fearing Gentiles gathered in one place and then worshiping Jews in an entirely different place. And that's the context that Paul is coming to us now in the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians 2, he addresses the Gentiles and he says, those, those who are separate from the Jewish people, though he knows full well that in his audience are some Jews as well. And he's wanting them to realize that peace with God is made possible at the cross to all people. It's lonely up here, folks. Come on. Whether you are a Jew or a Gentile, peace with God is possible at the cross of Christ. And he had an interesting way of, of, of saying it. He put it this way. He said, you who are far off, speaking of the Gentiles, you have been brought near by the cross of Jesus. And it is a glorious reality to us, church, that we, 
I'm talking about you. I'm talking about me who have been far off. Bless the name of Jesus. We have been brought near. You see, every one of us has this longing within us. It is innate to us. It's just built into us. We have this longing to be near God. I would go so far as to say everyone in this world has a longing to be near God, and every, though everyone tries to fill it with all kinds of things, which explains why you've done some of the dumb things you've done and why I've done some of the stupid things I've done because we have this longing and we, 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 we don't know how to fill it. That's why that, that, that is there. But peace can only be found at the cross of Jesus Christ. We who were far off are brought near. We are brought back home. And this is the picture of what Scripture describes as reconciliation. It's two parties that are separated. Two parties that are far away from each other and at odds with each other and are brought back together, they are reconciled. You who were far away have been brought near. The story, as I heard it, goes like this. A certain man was visiting with a friend of his who happened to be a pastor of a, of a large Midwestern church. And he goes to this pastor's home, and the pastor is taking him in, but he didn't take him in the front door. He went through, the, took him in through the garage. The pastor's son's uh, go-kart was there that the pastor had helped his son to build. It was there. And the visiting gentleman commented on it. Hey, that's a good-looking thing. How, when did you do that? And began talking about it. Well, this conversation triggered the pastor to share the story of his reconciliation with his father. You see, the pastor's mother and father, after 30 years of marriage, had divorced. The father had been unfaithful to the mother trampled on her feelings, spurned her forgiveness and love, and he was kept returning over and over to his kept women, even after renewing his commitment and pledging fidelity. Well, the father's behavior caused this pastor, uh, who was just a boy at the time, great pain and anguish, as could be understood, and many of you have felt that pain and anguish. Though he loved his father, he became embittered toward him and even hateful and resentful toward him. Unable to accept him and the, and the suffering inflicted upon his mother, this pastor and his father became estranged, far away from each other. The father, embarrassed by his own actions and eaten up with shame and guilt, was unable to even face his son. However, sometime later, a few years later, the father happened to be, his work uh, brought him to a convention that happened to be in the same city that his son was the pastor in this city. A series of circumstances made it right for him to uh, visit his son. So on that day, the pastor and his father walked through that same garage that they, he and his friend had just walked through. This time, the pastor was leading the way, and his father was, was lagging behind. Tension was high, and the pastor was in the house before he even realized that his, his dad was not even, not even with him. So he, he looked back, and he saw his father staring at that go-kart that the pastor had built for his son, only there were tears flowing down the father's face. You see, for that father, the memory of his son's childhood, of days when the bond of love was so solid and the thought of his now grown son making a go-kart for his son as he had done for him, it overwhelmed him. And so something dynamic happened in that moment. Barriers were dropped. 
Defenses were melted away and emotions, including repentance, were expressed and love and forgiveness began to flow as honest sharing brought the father and son together again. Now, in this simple story, it was a place, it was a time, and it was the significance of something as simple as that go-kart, but all that it held for them in memories and, and something that had been lost and, and, and they thought could never be regained, that's all it took for them to come to a place of reconciliation. And dare I say it, for Christians, it's the significant of, significance of the cross. It, that is the time and the place and the event which brings us to a point of reconciliation. When we look at the cross, it brings us back to our senses and back to the place of love where reconciliation takes place. We look at the cross and we are reminded of what we have lost and the love that we have spurned of, of the Lord Jesus. And that's what moves us to a place of repentance. Repentance is very simple. It's changing your mind and turning and going the opposite direction that you were walking in. And in that moment, we open ourselves to God and, and the gracious Father that He is, He restores us to fellowship with Him. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. But our text goes further than that. And this next verse, I believe, is revolutionary. I think it's one that you ought to commit to memory. It's so significant, particularly significant now. It's uh, a song we sang around here years ago when Pastor Des was a pastor, and he would call for it from time to time. He is our peace. Verse 14 says, for he himself, meaning Jesus, he is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. So not only does the grace we find at the cross give us peace with God, which we find as Paul has been speaking about our relationship with God and who we are in Christ Jesus and speaking directly to us about a vertical relationship, but now in this verse 14, he's gone horizontal on us. Because if we have been brought to peace with God by the cross of Christ, then that tells us this, peace with one another is then made possible. Peace with one another is made possible through the cross of Jesus Christ. That's a great time for somebody to say amen. In fact, what Paul goes on to make clear is this, peace is only made possible through the blood of Jesus Christ. I don't think you'll find it getting settled in Washington. I don't think you'll get it, find it settled in Austin. I don't think you'll find any other place on this earth that's going to be settled. Peace is only made possible through the person and the blood of Jesus Christ. And here is where we discover this most magnificent reality that when that happens, it's that walls start to crumble. Walls of division are destroyed. In the church of Jesus Christ, walls of hostility can be put to death for he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Hallelujah. So what is this wall of hostility? that we read about here. Well, the Ephesians would have been very familiar with how the Herodian temple was set up, how God had designed for the people of Israel to worship. There were three courts in that temple. And so out here we see the outer court. Here, it would go all, around, all the way around. Here it is. It's an open air court 
with a wall around it. This is called the court of the Gentiles. Uh, Gentiles were allowed to come to this place. They could only be here, only in this outer court. But then you move into what would be considered the middle court, which is here, or it's also known as the court of women. Jewish women who, who were ceremonial, ceremonially clean, they could worship there and come to that place. So you have the outer court, you have the middle court, or the court of women, but then you have this inner court, which is the court of priests, where those of the priesthood could come and meet with God in that place. So you have three courts. You have the outer court, you have the middle court, court of women, you have the inner court, which is the, uh, the court of priests. But the one thing that you'll find interesting is that historians and archaeologists will tell you this, that they discovered an inscription which was on the wall going, and let's pixelated here, on the wall going into the inner court. Uh, you might want to do your own research on it as well. It's incredible that, this, that they have found uh, this inscription that was here, and it basically said this, if you enter here, death will be imminent. We might say, enter at your own risk. But they were saying, you don't get to come in here. If you go beyond this point to enter into the inner court, death will certainly come to you. Now, what does that tell us? That the hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles was at its maximum peak at this time. We understand a little bit about that today. There was intense hatred between these two people groups, the likes of which I doubt we can even fully understand to the point that if any Gentile entered through that gate, they could absolutely expect to die. Now, part of that was this idea of religious superiority of the Jewish people. God had given them the laws and, and the commandments. This is how we worship, and if you come, but if you come in here, you will die. And so what we see is that that relationship between the Jews and Gentiles was completely broken, completely fractured. There was not any semblance of coming together at all. And in the midst of that, in the midst of that, and Paul knew that they understood this. He gives us Ephesians 2 verse 14, for he himself, meaning Jesus, is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. And this is the glorious reality of Jesus. While it would be much easier, much easier for two different people groups, two different nationalities, two different uh, demographics, two different cultures to have separate churches to do their own thing separately, just with their own kind, both worshiping God but remain separate but equal. We would put it this way, to have, a, to have a black church and a white church, to have a Baptist church and a Pentecostal church. That might be easier, but here's what he says. In the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's not how it works. In the gospel of Jesus Christ, the dividing wall of hostility is broken down and destroyed. And Bethesda, this absolutely must change the way we think about our world today. It's not at all difficult to take that wall of hostility that we see from the temple and to make parallels to our own world today. The walls within our own community. I have been in situations uh, in this last year where I was reaching into the community. I've sat on forums and symposiums 
And I see the wall. I saw firsthand and uh, the wall of hostility. Much of it was directed at me. The walls within our own families, the walls within our own marriages, the walls within the, the walls of our political divide, which are very vivid to us today, the walls of our racial divide, the walls of generational misunderstanding and preconceived notions. Those of you who are my age, I don't know if you've noticed, but the kids coming up behind us look at the world much differently than we do, much differently. And it can create walls of hostility between us. Believe me, I know. Need I say more? Do you need more examples? There are walls of dissension even to the point of hatred between people groups. But he himself, Jesus, is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose, this was the purpose of Jesus in all of this, was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two. Now, in the original language here, in the Greek New Testament, there are two ways, at least, that I have discovered that the word new is, is used. One was this. We would call it neos. Neos. It is, a, it is a new version of something already existing. It would be like getting a, a 2020 or 2021 um, Honda Accord or, or, or Toyota Camry. It, it, it's a, the new version, the new and improved, the updated of something that already exists. The new version of essentially the same thing. That's what Neos is. Newer, fresher, fresher of that which had already existed. But then you have the word kainos which means that's something that is it's new. It is new in quality. It is different in nature from the old. It's not the same thing. It is a complete... In fact, you've got to find a new category for this kind of new. It is categorically new. It is a new creation. It's something that's never been seen or thought of or even heard of before. It is new. So according to verse 15 that we just read, the purpose of Jesus was to create something categorically new within the church. And he doesn't say to the Gentiles, now you've got to become like the Jewish people. That's what you have to do. Uh, uh, you become part of them. And he doesn't say to the Jewish people, okay, you've got to become like the Gentiles. That, that's, he says, no, I am making something categorically new. It's called the church of the living Lord Jesus Christ. So what we are to have in the church, hear me today, Bethesda, is something categorically different. Something categorically different than anything that has been seen before. So we have Jews and Gentiles. We have smart and simple. We have educated and non-educated. We have male and female. We have black and white and Asian and Hispanic and Democrats, yes, and Republicans, yes. Every nationality of the world coming together and all of them are coming for this purpose, to worship Jesus and Jesus alone. And it's categorically new. So the message of Ephesians 2 is this, peace with God is made possible by the cross of Jesus Christ. And when that happens, peace with one another 
is also made possible. And not only made possible, but commanded. And Bethesda, this is the very heart of what God wants for his church. Why do you think it thrills me to see three African congregations in this building? An Asian congregation, and Burmese congregation, and Korean, and, and Hispanic. Because it's something categorically different. We can come together. I don't know about you, but my Bible says, whosoever will may come. Come drink of the water. Come and drink freely. It's offered freely to you. Whosoever will may come. So we have to ask the question this morning. But with all of that and all the differences that are there, is it possible to have peace? Is peace possible in our community? Is peace possible in our nation? Is peace possible in our world? Is peace possible in this post-election season? Is peace possible between all the people groups? I'm standing here to say the answer is yes, but it is only found at the cross. It is my prayer for this church and for the church that we would be that kainos kind of church, not just a revision of the old with a few new amenities. No, 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 no. That church which is categorically new and categorically different from what we see in the world, that at the cross of Jesus Christ, we find people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation coming together to say this, you know what? The wall has been destroyed. Hostility has been defeated through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what the church is to be. Unfortunately, what we see in our world is many walls still being resurrected by people in the church who allow themselves to give in to the spirit of division. You can spot them pretty quickly because they say things like this. You know what? I, I would really, I'd rather just, I know they've got all those language services at Bethesda and they've got all these different kinds of people and I would really rather just worship with a place where people are just like me. The walls go up. I would really rather deal with people who, it'd just be so much easier if I could deal with people who just think like I do, and the walls go up. Or I would rather just, I'd rather talk with people who are educated like I am. Or maybe you'd rather talk with someone who doesn't have an education like you don't. Or I like to talk to people who have a good work ethic like I do. They understand me. And the walls go up. Whatever, and who, who, you can say whatever, whatever it is that divides us in our society or in the church. The cross of Jesus Christ is boldly proclaiming to believers, that's you and me today, that peace is possible. Jesus has destroyed the wall of hostility. Peace with God is made possible. Peace with one another is made possible. And then we read on in verse 17. He came and preached peace to you who were far away. And peace to those who were near, both Jews and Gentiles, to every people group. Peace with God is possible, for through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. And this is the glorious reality of the church. It's that we have one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one Spirit. And Bethesda, I declare to you today that that ought to transcend every boundary that we have in this world or that the world wants to put upon us. And so when we read the news headlines, when you watch presidential debates, when you look at the world today, 
We have to have this worldview, this paradigm for thinking about our world. I know it sounds uh, uh, disjointed. I know it sounds at odds. But you know what? I will believe that peace is possible at the cross of Jesus Christ and that the church is categorically different from what we see in the world. And so as the church of the Lord Jesus, may we pray for this reality. May we pray for the walls to come tumbling down. May we pray for hope. May we pray for peace to be found in Jesus. And part of what this means is that people who are different from us, people who have a different color skin than than you do, people that come from a different background, people who come from a different culture, a different country, or a different part of this country, you need to be intentional. That means on purpose and deliberate about building a relationship with the people that you are different from. I knew that would get a little tepid golf clap probably at best. But I'm telling you the truth today. That's how the walls come down. When you begin to, to you're tearing walls down, when you begin to be intentional about building relationships with those who are different than you are, because that is categorically different, and that is what the cross of Jesus Christ does. And frankly, Bethesda, that is how the story ends. Listen to me carefully. We read in Revelation chapter 5 that John has been given a vision of things to come. He says this, then I saw a lamb. (laughs) Oh God, lift our gaze today. Lift our gaze to the eternal today. Then I saw a lamb that looked as if it had been slaughtered. But it was now standing between the throne and the four living beings and among the 24 elders. He had seven horns, seven eyes, which represented the sevenfold spirit of God that is sent out into every part of the earth. He stepped forward and took the scroll from the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. And when he took the scroll, the four living beings and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they held gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of God's people. Your prayers are contained in bowls of incense in heaven today. Even the ones you forgot that you prayed. And they sang a new song with these words. I'm going to ask everyone in the room, balcony, main floor, I want you to stand with me and you're going to help me finish reading this. We're not just going to read it. I'm asking everyone to stand. Everyone, please. Everyone standing. Everyone standing. And I want us to read this together on the wall screens here. Not just read it, I'm asking you to declare it. Not just declare it, I'm asking you to shout it from the depth of your being. Do it with me right now. You are to take the scroll. For you are From every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests. And they will reign on the earth. Blessed be the name.